I did a lot of reading, as you can tell. But I'm not going to... I'm going to try to make this not too academic and more spiritual. And as I go through, hopefully you guys will find some of the themes that emerge familiar. Uh, because that they, the study of baptism touches on a lot of the stuff that we've talked about over the past two years, particularly when we get to the four graces of baptism that Father Planty mentioned when he kicked us off two weeks ago. So I thought I'd start by reading the passage and then go through some background basics on baptism. The big theme is that basically baptism is the entryway for all that. It's the basis of all that we do. It means the foundation, the source of our membership in Christ and in Christ's body. So our identity as Christians, our identity as children of God, we enter into that identity by means of our baptism. And our baptism in in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is why we're here. It's the foundation of our fellowship. And that fellowship is rooted in our participation in Christ and the way that he lives in us. So with that, we're going to turn to 1 John chapter 5. Um, It's a fun letter. If you haven't read it in its entirety straight through, I'd encourage you to do that. It's actually a good practice with the epistles. They're short enough that you can read them in a sitting. And you can kind of get the the feel of them a little bit better. So, 1 John chapter 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is begotten by God. And everyone who loves the Father loves also the one begotten by him. In this way, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For the love of God is this, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For whoever is begotten by God conquers the world. And the victory that conquers the world is our faith. Who indeed is the victor over the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the one who came through water and blood. Jesus Christ, not by water alone, but by water and blood. The Spirit is the one that testifies, and the Spirit is truth. So there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are of one accord. If we accept human testimony, the testimony of God is surely greater. Now the testimony of God is this, that he has testified on behalf of his Son, Whoever believes in the Son of God has this testimony within himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar by not believing the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever possesses the Son has life. Whoever does not possess the Son of God does not have life. We also know that the Son of God has come and has given us discernment to know the one who is true. And we are in the one who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Children, be on your guard against idols. So the testimony of God is that we have life through his Son, Jesus Christ, and we have overcome the world through faith in his Son, Jesus Christ. And in baptism, it's the doorway into that grace. 
Pope Francis in his encyclical, The Joy of the Gospel, talks about baptism as the door. Everyone can share in some way in the life of the church. Everyone can be part of the community, nor should the doors of the sacraments be closed for simply any reason. This is especially true of the sacrament, which is itself the door, baptism. And then he goes on. I'll come back to this, the connection between baptism and the Eucharist. It's in the reading with the blood and the water. The Eucharist, although it is the fullness of sacramental life, is not a prize for the perfect, but a powerful medicine and nourishment for the weak. We are not baptized by our own initiative, but we are called and invited by God into it. That's something John says first, that God is the one who sought us out first. So, grace. Father Don talked about it a lot. Um, I'm going to talk briefly about what it is and then talk about the, the graces of baptism. Um, it's uh, something the church has been doing a long time, that's given the grace of baptism. And uh, but, but grace is this it's a hard concept, right? It's not something that we readily receive or understand. It's a mystery. God's grace is a mystery. It's important in our faith lives, I think, to accept mystery and to live in mystery and not try to make everything make sense. It's important to let God's mystery work in our lives in ways that we don't always comprehend or don't always understand. Uh, but what is grace doing? So if, if, if baptism is the entry or the means of grace, then what does, what does that mean? One thing that Father Planty also talked about is he defined the sacrament as an efficacious sign of God's grace that also contains the grace symbolized. So it's not just a symbolic act, but contains the very grace itself. It communicates the grace to us. And grace is that supernatural gift of God through which he unites himself with us. It is the way that he bridges the unbridgeable gap between us as the, cre- as the creation, as the creature, and him as the creator. So when we're baptized, we receive the Holy Spirit in us, and it dwells in our hearts. And in that dwelling... It elevates us. It doesn't just sustain us, but it elevates us into our full potential. So this is uh, Henri de Lubac, a brief catechism on nature and grace. Um, he says it better than I just did. The supernatural, one might say, is that divine element which man's effort cannot reach. No self-divinization but which unites itself to man, elevating him, as our classical theology used to put it, and as Vatican II still says, penetrating him in order to divinize him, and thus becoming, as it were, an attribute of the new man described by Paul. While it remains forever unnaturalizable, the grace of God that we receive, that divine part, it doesn't become profane because it's in us. It lifts us from the profane up to the divine. While it remains forever unnaturalizable, it profoundly penetrates the depths of man's being. It is a relationship of reciprocity and unity, and its perfect model is found in the three persons of the Trinity. 
in the same way that the three persons of the Trinity are not co-mingled with each other, but distinct, yet one, our baptism in the same way unites us with the Spirit. It unites us with God. We're not swallowed up in him. Grace does not eradicate us. It doesn't squash us. It gets inside of us and lifts us up. It makes us what we're supposed to be. The influx of God's spirit does not remain external to man. That without any commingling of natures, it really leaves its mark on our nature and becomes in us a principle of life. It is we ourselves and our creaturely being which the active presence in us of the spirit makes divine without for that reason absorbing us or annihilating us in God. We have the spirit of God within us through our baptism. That's grace. And in having that, we nonetheless remain totally ourselves and in some ways more fully ourselves. Pat talks about this. The love of God, we're striving to be who we are to really be what God intended us to be. That's our pilgrimage. That's what we're doing. We're trying to understand and live out the gift of grace that we have and that grace is in us. And grace is is the means whereby, again, God bridges that gap. God's gift has been implanted in the depths of man's nature for the two elements which we deal with here, nature and the supernatural, our nature and the and grace, have not become an intermixture or a confusion, but have been joined in intimate union, in dependence on and in the image of the two natures of Christ. In the same way that God, that Jesus was both God and man, the Spirit of God dwells within us. That's grace. It's that Spirit of God in us, saturates us, penetrates us, and then lifts us. And it's not something that the, the finite doesn't, like the, the infinite grace doesn't come down to us and then sustain us in this worldly life. It comes down, the infinite comes to us to lift us up to the infinite, to behold, to behold God. And baptism is the doorway by which we enter into that grace. That's how we become Christians. And in our baptism, we are baptized into Christ's death, so that our sins die with him, so that we can then rise with him. So that's why it's not, it's, it's not just Christ's death on the cross that matters, but it's Easter, his resurrection. And in doing so, he claims us and brings us to himself. And baptism is the entryway into that. So, something we've been doing a long time. I mean, church has been doing this from the beginning, and the way that they do it hasn't changed that much. I mean, you read the Didache from the first century, and it's well, 100, second century. And same thing, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So it's really old. We've been doing it a long, a long time. And it's, uh, so baptism is the, it's, it's the basis of, of union and restoration. It's the, I'm going to get to the graces here, but it, Baptism is the means whereby God comes to us in our brokenness as men of history in our fallen nature and invites us in and ushers us in and brings us in to his divine life as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in doing that, instills his spirit within us. And that has four distinct consequences. So I'll lay out what the four graces are, then I'll I'll talk about them in turn. Uh, This is in the Catechism, if you're curious. This is where this is coming from. 
First is the forgiveness of sins. So baptism communicates the forgiveness of sins. The second is it makes us a new creation, a new creature. The third is it incorporates us into the church. And fourth, it creates a bond of unity that is ecumenical in scope. It's a bond of unity not just as Catholics, but as Christian. For instance, I was baptized in a chapel at a military base in Germany on Christmas Eve in 1978. When I became Catholic, I was not rebaptized. Um, baptism leaves an indelible mark on us, which is like the fifth grace talked about in the catechism. So again, forgiveness of sins, a new creation, incorporated into the body, the, incorporated into the church, the body of Christ, and a sacramental bond of unity between all Christians. So I'll go through them in more detail. Forgiveness of sins is a... So baptism eradicates the stain of original sin and it removes all impediment to our entry into the kingdom of heaven. When we're baptized, there's no longer a gap or the, the, the if you will, the gate to heaven guarded by the fiery angel. If you understand Eden as heaven, that gate's removed. Remember the the the, 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 the temple was the, the, the cloth in front of the temple of the tep, of the holiest of holies was ripped in half when Jesus died. So in our baptism, all barriers to fellowship with God are removed. Um, original sin is wiped out. Personal sin is wiped out as well. So we're forgiven our sins. So the, that, that rupture of our relationship with God is healed. And the possibility of a re- restoration of our relationship with God is made possible by the grace that we receive in our baptism. It does not, however, eradicate the tendency towards sin, uh, called concupiscence. That remains in us as a mark. And the other thing it does not do, so that's the first stain of sin that remains. So while we have entry into heaven, we must nonetheless still contend with sin that inheres in our bodily natures still and in the world. And we still die. Bodily death is still a consequence of the original, of original sin. So, newsflash, we'll all die. But good news is that we'll rise with Christ. <laughs> so bodily death, bodily death remains. So concupiscence is kind of a complicated word. Uh, it's basically what Pat calls the, the flesh mindset. It's defined in paragraph 2515. Uh, concupiscence can refer to any intense form of human desire. Christian theology has given it a particular meaning, the movement of the sensitive appetite contrary to the operation of human reason. The Apostle St. Paul identifies with the rebellion of the flesh against the spirit. Concupiscence stems from the disobedience of the first sin. It unsettles man's moral faculties and without being in itself an offense, inclines man to commit sins. So that remains. Uh, in John's letter, first letter of John, he talks a lot about, oh, don't sin anymore. But some sins deadly, some isn't. Uh, so yeah, we, I think we're all familiar with that sort of residue of sin in our lives. Um, I know I am. and it's a, it's, a, it's a battle. But that's what we're here to do. We're here to grow in the grace of baptism so that we sin less. And as we sin less, then we progress in our sanctification until we finally behold the face of God on the other side of eternity. But on this side of eternity, eternity, we still suffer bodily death and we're still inclined to sin. 
But through our baptism, we have forgiveness of those sins, and the entries, the entry to heaven is, is removed. Um, so we have forgiveness of sins in, in our baptism. Uh, the second thing, again, so new creation. This is something Pat has also talked a lot about. We're the new man. So we start with this flesh-spirit mindset division at the very beginning. Now we're moving into the virtues. Uh, we're a new creation. We're adopted sons of God. And as adopted sons of God, we are equipped by the Spirit to live out the theological virtues, faith, hope, and love. So that's one of the, one of the, the graces that we receive in our baptism is, is that supernatural ability to live out of those, those, those three virtues and have them show up in our lives and in the lives of those we love. How does it say it? I didn't put enough tabs in my books. So the Most Holy Trinity gives a baptized sanctifying grace, the grace of this is paragraph 1266, enabling them to believe in God, to hope in him, and to love him through the theological virtues. Because we're a new creature in God through our baptism, we're also given the power to live and act under the prompting of the Holy Spirit through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We talked about the gifts, the charisms. One of the fruits of our baptism, one of the graces of our baptism, is that our natural talents can unfold within the church and that we can realize the gifts of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And through that, we're allowed to grow in goodness through moral virtues. Those are the four cardinal virtues that we studied before. Prudence, justice, fortitude, temperance. Uh, prudence is the, the, the chief of those, the head, uh, because prudence is right action in light of what is known. It's practical reason. It's how you make decisions in your life. So through our baptism, we are quickened by the grace of God to have the virtues necessary to live a better life, to live a virtuous life. And that all springs to the supernatural life that emerges from our baptism. So our lives, in, our lives in Christ, our lives together, emerge out of our baptism, out of our death to ourself and our life to Christ, our life in Christ, with the Holy Spirit empowering us to do it. Uh, tabernacle, people talk about tabernacle. Uh, it came up in the homily at the 1030 Mass last week. Um, tabernacle is a fancy word for dwelling. Uh, it's a big deal because the Spirit, we're a tabernacle of the Spirit, a temple of the Spirit. That's the nature of God's presence in the Old Testament. Like when he was with the Israelites going, wandering around, the tent of the tabernacle was the tent of the dwelling of God. God's presence in the world with his people was in the tent. Now it's in us. So when we say that the God is like, oh, if only we had the, the, the fire and the, the, you know, the cloud to, to guide us, we do in our hearts the promptings of the Holy Spirit. That's a prefiguration of the reality that we have now of the full union and fellowship we have with God through our baptism. So dwelling, tabernacle, it's God's presence in us. The activity of God's divine grace through our baptism in us individually and collectively. Which gets me to the third one. Incorporated into the church, the body of Christ. Oh, before I go on new creation, you guys should take a look at Romans 6.3 and Colossians 2.12. Romans is a little bit stronger, so I'll go to Romans. Romans is easier to find, it's thicker. What then shall we say? Shall we persist in sin that grace may abound? Of course not. 
How can we who die to sin yet live in it? Or are you unaware that you were baptized into Christ? Or are you unaware that we who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were indeed buried with him through the baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might live in the newness of life. We're new creation. We're not bound by sin. We're not slaves to sin anymore. It remains in our lives as a residue of the fall, but we're not slaves to it. We're sons of God. And are empowered. Romans 6. Romans 6, verses 3 to 5. I started at 6-1. These, the, these are in the catechism. Like, I'm not... This isn't some great work of synthesis on my part. It's in the footnotes. <laughs> Colossians. Well, read the catechism. It's really good. Colossians 2.12. Uh, this is the same theme. You were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the power of God who raised him from the dead. And even when you were dead in transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he brought you to life along with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, obliterating the bond against us with its legal claims, which was opposed to us. He also removed it from our midst, nailing it to the cross, despoiling the principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, leading them away in triumph by it. Christ's cross frees us from sin. So now we're, uh, so third, incorporated into the church. Baptism is like our membership card. It's our ticket in. It's how we, it's how we get to participate in all of the blessings of the church. Um, and because we are incorporated in the body of church, Father Planty talked about this when he was with us two weeks ago, we participate in the three offices of Christ. We talked about those before his kingly office or his shepherding office, his priestly office, and his prophetic office. So as members of the church, we are part of all of that. I'm not going to re, re, you know, rehash what we talked about last Lent. But that's... Uh, baptism is the means whereby we become members of the body of Christ. That's how we participate in the communio that we spent the fall talking about. It's how we have fellowship with each other. That's the basis of our commonality. It's why we're all sitting here having this fellowship because we were all baptized sons of God who are incorporated into his body, the church. First Corinthians, uh, I'm going to first Corinthians 12. For in the one spirit, we're all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free persons, and we're all given the drink of one spirit. So we're together. We're bonded through our baptism to each other. That's the fourth one. This is ecumenical in scope. The gospel message did not come just for us. It's not, you know, Pope Francis talks about this in the joy of the gospel. When Jesus commissioned the disciples to go to all nations and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He wasn't setting up some elite group. He wasn't setting up an exclusive club. Sure, baptism is our, 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 our membership card. However, our club is meant for everybody. God came, Christ came to save everyone. 
all over the world. And while the church is divided, unfortunately, we recognize as fellow Christians those who've been baptized in the name of the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There is some fellowship with them despite the formal divisions within the church. And because we're members of the church, we're not our own anymore. So this is the we talked about the, the, the cross. We have to bear our crosses and carry it. It's not like the, the gospel message isn't something that we like, you know, gather up for our own and just hold on to it. Oh, this is a precious gift. You know, I'm just gonna keep it for me. No, it's meant to go out. Anytime someone encounters Jesus and is transformed, this is something that's come up in my I pray the rosary every morning, right? So as I pray in the morning, it's something that's come up is when people encounter Jesus or they encounter the gospel, they usually depart in haste to go do something. Or if they receive a word of God to go somewhere, they depart in haste to go see it. The shepherds went in haste to go see the the baby Jesus in the manger. And upon seeing the sign they were given, they then went out and told everybody about it. And then Mary, after hearing the word of the Annunciation, went in haste to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And then there's there's this idea, this this exuberance that people have upon encountering, and that's part of this this what we have and what we've been baptized into this gospel message, salvation in Christ Jesus, life in Him. It's not just for us; it's for everybody, and it's our job to take it out. So those are the four: forgiveness of sins, a new creature incorporated into the church and the sacramental bond of unity with with all Christians who are baptized. And that's an indelible mark. Nothing can take it away. Paul says this in Romans 8, I'm convinced that nothing can separate me from the love of God. Nothing. Neither here on earth nor the evil, like, evil spirits, the devil. Once we're baptized into him, he is faithful and will not let us go. Uh, so just stay on, remember your baptism. I don't remember it. I was not even a year old. But it's easy in my life to look back and wonder, okay, this is all great, Doug. Yeah, spirit helps me be free of sin. Okay, but my life is just a litter of sin. I look back behind, I see all my mistakes, you know. And the adversary gets in my ear and it's, oh, you've done this, you could have done this better, blah, blah. All these regrets. But one thing I'm convinced of, like, I, yeah, my life's imperfect. But he's never let me go. He's never let me go. I was not brought up in a particularly Christian home. My parents baptized me, but we didn't go to church. Um, somehow I found my way to the Bible at the age of you know, 13, 14. I had a traumatic event, started reading the Bible. I wanted to be better at sports, so I started reading the Bible for that reason too. Um, and that little that claim that he had on me from my baptism was sparked at that point. And you know, as I matured through my teen years and into adulthood, my faith life's progressed by fits and starts. Um, periods of, of devotion, periods of you know, coolness, periods of questioning, periods of doubt. But through it all, he never let me go. And that's why I'm able to stand up here and share this fellowship with you guys. And I'm grateful that through this fellowship, I think I've been able to progress, penetrate things a little deeper, appreciate the mystery, grow in humility, 
It's a weird thing for me to say, given how I talk about things. Um, but it's uh, the deep love of God for me and for us is something that I know to be true because as a baptized child of God, he has not let me stray from him and has always called me back to himself somehow or another and encouraged me to study his word, to find him in the, in the sacraments, and to remember my baptism. And uh, I'm grateful for that. It's, uh, it's a real blessing. And there's a, challenge. there's a challenge in taking the graces of our baptism seriously and not letting the lies in the, of our flesh, of the world, of the enemy get to us and convince us that that grace isn't enough for us. It is enough. And it quickens our efforts. And we can partner with God, who is in us, to be the men that he's called us to be. Because we are in his son, who's vouchsafed by the water of our baptism and our participation in his body and blood in the Eucharist every week. So it's true, and it's real. And the Spirit of God works in us through the sacraments. So thank you, gentlemen. And uh, with that, may uh, hopefully it's helpful, edifying, and I, I pray that uh, your discussion and our discussion around these tables will be edifying for us and for uh, God's church. Thank you.